in a variety of ways is what we would call unrest. Now, in all of our conversations that we are having with people about all the things that we can talk about, when was the last time you asked somebody, hey, are you resting? When was the last time somebody asked you, hey, do you feel rested? (laughs) You see, I think a conversation about rest is actually really big. I think that we could use it as a missional conversation. What about the person that doesn't go to church? What about the person in your neighborhood? Just ask them, hey, have you rested lately? The reality is for us as believers, we should also be asking each other that question. You see, we talk a lot about working. We talk a lot about doing, even in church. We talk about what's going on in our homes. We talk about what's going on at our jobs. We talk about what's happening in ministry. But the truth is this morning, we all need rest. Amen. We do. Rest is something that we all need indiscriminately. (laughs) You see, 2020 has been a year that has probably exhausted us all. I read a meme and it reads like this. 2020 is a unique leap year. It has 29 days in February, 300 days in March, and five years in April. (laughs) That's at least what it's felt like, right? I think if we all could, we probably would unsubscribe from 2020. The good news this morning is that we have access to something that 2020 has not provided to us. We actually have access to rest. So the question is, how do we begin a conversation on this topic this morning from Scripture? The only way I know to begin this conversation is to take a look at the beginning of all things. And by the beginning of all things, I do not simply mean the creation of all things. When I say the beginning of all things, I am talking about the creator himself. You see, there is no conversation about anything in life without talking about the one and only triune God who created all of life. So this morning, we're going to start in Genesis 2. And Genesis 2-2 reads like this. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. On the seventh day, from all his work that he had done. Now, up front, this verse feels very casual. (laughs) It feels just more informative by nature. But as the Bible scholars that I know that you guys are, We know that this verse comes on the heels of Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, God has just spent the last six days doing his good work of creation. On day one, God said, let there be light. Day two, God separated the waters in the sky from the waters in the world. Day three, God said, let the dry land appear and separated the water into different bodies of water, water using the land. And then he told the land to sprout vegetation. And then he told it to grow plants. And then he told it to grow trees. And on day four, God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars. Day five, he fills the earth waters with creatures. And then he creates birds to fly in the sky. Day six, he creates every single creature that will walk on the face of the earth, including humans. But then God did something unique with mankind. And we'll get back to that in a minute, all right? After each of these days of creation, God saw what he made. And he said, I done did some good work this week. Then day seven comes around and God says it's time to rest. Now the reality is none of us have ever worked that hard. Have you? (laughs) God made the heavens and the earth. You see, for us, we have this concept we call hump day. Do y'all know what hump day is all about? Hump day is I need to be able to see the end of this week coming. 
I'd have made it over this hump. The reality is some of us can't even make it to lunchtime before we're like, we're tired of this already. I've had enough. By somebody, I mean me, all right? Uh, <laughs> so when we look at this, what are we seeing? What we are not seeing here is that God had somehow worn himself out. We know that that's not true. We know it's not true because God is the one who embodies infinite power. What we are getting to see by God's actions is the first of four things I want to show you this morning. We are getting to see that rest is God's idea. Now, what that means for us is that the concept is his, and God says it's good. (laughs) Now, many of us are not going to argue that rest is good. We probably believe that. That's pretty clear for us. But here's the thing. If the concept is his, then he is the one who determines what rest is and what it looks like. So I want us to look at Genesis 2 again. And this time, I want us to read through verse 3 and to see if we can get an understanding of this idea that God is showcasing for us. Let's try it again. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Sound is very redundant, doesn't it? So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. The first thing that we see in these verses is that rest and work are connected. That means that just like there is no conversation about rest without God, there is also no real substantive conversation about rest without also talking about work. God had worked. God had worked at creating the heavens and earth for six days, and when we get to verse 2 of chapter 2, on the seventh day, he finished it. Right up front, this tells us something about the place that work has. There is a place where work starts and there is a place where work stops, or at least there should be. The reason that I bring this up is because you and I do not live in a culture that believes that, nor do we live in a culture that celebrates that. Truly, we live in a culture where the exact opposite is true. The more you work, the more you are celebrated. The more you work, the more promotions you get. The more you work, the bigger the paychecks get. The more you work, the more honors, the more awards that you get. And the reality is we do this in church too. You see, in church... We celebrate the people who work the hardest. We celebrate the people who contribute the most. What's problematic is that God seems to have a better idea for us about this relationship between rest and work. Because the next thing we see is God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Now this word bless, this word bless means to kneel in the original language. So I want to be clear about something. God does not bow to any created thing. But in that that word being used, there is an indication of God's posture. God's posture toward the seventh day was that he had given special honor to it, which is why he set it apart. There is an emphasis that God puts on rest above work. God looked at the work and said it was good. We can't deny that fact. But he did not ignore the seventh day, and he actually gave it honor. God, in his godness, I like that word, by the way. I use it a lot. It's not a real word, but whatever. God, in his godness, has determined that rest is something that is necessary for all of his creation. He first displays it to us by giving us an example of what it should look like on the seventh day. 
He then later defines it in Exodus using this word Sabbath. Now we hear that word, but again, I, if you, listen, if you were part of my church, you know I'm big on definition because I feel like words have meanings and we should actually make sure we all agree on what the word means, all right? So this word Sabbath means a break or intermission. I like intermission better a little bit. What God does is he sets up the Sabbath as a memorial to himself. Now pay attention to this. When God rested on the seventh day, he did not stop and reflect as if he'd somehow forgotten what he'd just done these last six days. So that must mean that God had a different purpose. God's purpose was to set an example to us of what it looks like to enjoy what has just been accomplished. Namely, for us, what he has allowed us to accomplish or what has been accomplished through him. That's big. Now, something that I think we should pay attention to is the fact that when we think about rest, we tend to think about rest personally. What I mean is we tend to think about how we personally can get rest. The issue is scripture paints a different picture to us. In scripture, rest is actually a very broad concept. If you were to go throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation, you would find a few things. You would find that land has been said to need rest. You would find that animals have been said to need rest. You would find that hired servants have been said to need rest. You would find that even nations are being said to need rest. Scripture, scripture even goes so far as to say that a demon or an unclean spirit that is cast out of a person can't find rest. That's interesting, ain't it? Meaning that this concept is literally hardwired into the DNA of God's creation. What this means for you and I is that God is actually commanding rest for us, which means we can't get away from it. Now, I want to be clear because I didn't said a lot. <laughs> We're still talking about the fact that rest is God's idea. What I'm trying to do right now is just lay a framework for us. God has not just said, rest if you feel like it. God has not just said, rest when you get burnt out. <laughs> now, when we look at this, what we must understand is that God is being serious about this rest, and he's so serious that we find out that he actually includes it as one of the Ten Commandments. But it gets even better than that because he doesn't stop there. If we were to get to Exodus 31 and verse 15, it says, Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Now, this is the part. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Now, that escalated quickly, did it not? <laughs> what we're seeing here, though, is that this is serious business for God. One major reason why God takes this seriously is because he has actually designated rest as a sign of something. If you were to continue reading in Exodus 31, you'd end up at verse 17, and it says, It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. God, God has ordained rest as a sign of who his people are. And by way of that, who is people or not. <laughs> this means that although 
we tend to only see rest as something physical. We tend to only see it in the sense of like our physical health and how we need to get it so we don't wear our bodies out. Rest is actually an indicator of our spiritual health. You see, there's something to be said about a lack of rest that is telling about our real relationship with God. And I use that word real intentionally. There's something to be said about how we rest and or do not rest that is telling about our real relationship with God. Let me try to make it plain. Resting is actually one of the ways that we live for the sake of Jesus Christ. Resting is actually one of the ways that we honor him. Resting is actually one of the ways that we give him glory. (laughs) The reason why can be found in a verse like Proverbs 19.23. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. (laughs) Now, this is interesting, because what this verse is seeming to say is that there is actually a connection between the fear of the Lord and rest. So here's a question for you. Does a lack of fearing God cause a lack of rest? It's a good question, ain't it? I'm not going to answer it right now. (laughs) I think another key to definition here is the elephant in the room. Now, can I just ask you over quick, why do we use that saying? When has there ever been an elephant in the room? Anybody? No? Like, there's never been an elephant in the room. The elephant that is in the room for us this morning is that something, it's something that we may not have just, you know, thought about yet. But scripture says of God in Isaiah that God does not slumber, nor does he sleep. Now, we all like that scripture, and I think we should. I think believing a scripture like this helps increase our faith, and I think it actually helps increase our confidence in God, because what it actually means is when we sleep, he does not. That's good news for somebody here this morning. When we sleep, he does not. What I do find interesting, though, about this same scripture, is that a lot of our conversations surrounding rest also surround sleep. And is it not interesting to you that God could rest without sleeping? I'm going to let that one soak into you for a second. Is it not interesting that God could rest without sleeping? Now, what I'm not saying is that sleep is not restful because we all know that it is. What I am saying is what's implied by God's action is that our understanding of rest has to become more full. Our understanding of rest must be more comprehensive than just having a conversation about sleep. But this also means we must ask another question. Now, we know we need sleep. That's actually not up for question for us. You stay up too long, your body's going to shut down. That's biologically proven, right? The question is, how did God rest if he did not sleep? The answer is simple. He stopped working. God stopped working because his work was finished. God had done all that was necessary for the heavens and the earth to be in existence. He was done. But I think we should be even clearer. God rested from creating. He did not and he could not rest from sustaining what had been created. If we read Genesis 2, 3 again, it says, So God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy because on it God rested this word from. 
all his work that he had done in creation. Do you see that? Moses was specific in telling us what God rested from. Creation was, and creation is, and creation evermore will be dependent on God. He made it and he sustains it, otherwise it would cease to be. God could stop working on creating because when he works, he works perfectly. There is no flaw in his creation. It truly was finished. But what this means for us is it means that the rest that God experienced and the rest that we are being called into is different in nature because we are different from God by nature. God rested because he is the creator and his work of creation was finished. We are supposed to find our rest in the finished work of the creator. This is why God is called the Alpha and the Omega. It is why he is called the beginning and the end. It is why in Hebrews 12 it says that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. It's because we add nothing to what he has provided. Now this is where the fear of the Lord comes in. If you and I have respect for God's power and his majesty, if we see him as God, meaning as the one who holds the world in the palms of his hand, like Psalm 95 says, then you and I will actually find rest. But I'm skipping ahead. (laughs) So I mentioned earlier that God spoke something different over humanity than he did the rest of his creation. That's found in Genesis 1.26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What are we supposed to see in this? There is no authority or the word that Moses uses dominion without God giving it. Meaning, there is nothing to take care of if God does not create and then give it to you to be cared for. I'm going to try to make it simpler. God must provide something for you to work at. (laughs) He must. Now, based on all of these texts that we looked at very quickly, I think a fair and biblically accurate definition of rest as creatures made by God is this. To cease from working with full assurance of provision. I'm going to say that again. I think a biblically accurate definition of rest is to cease from working with full assurance of provision. That is, we can rest because we are provided for. You see, there is no work without God and there is no provision without God. Therefore, we can take a break from working because we aren't the ones who provided the opportunity to work in the first place. God did. We are also not the ones who gives the increase. God does. So because work is a gift of God's grace, we can rest knowing that he will sustain it for us while we rest. Then let me ask you all a question. Does it not strike you that after everything God created, he said it was good? (laughs) We do not share in that experience with God, do we? (laughs) You see, one of the issues I think we have is that we see the work that we have done and we cannot immediately look at it and say it's good like God did. Because of that, our work is never finished, which is where our problems actually come from, by the way. It's why the second thing I want to show you this morning is something you already know. Rest is difficult. You see, the major reason why rest is difficult 
is because work is so difficult. Amen, somebody? And we have a lot to work on, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> I want to make a list for us this morning. What things do we work on? Let's start with our jobs. Our marriages, our children. Then when you get older, your children's children, because you got to help them with that. <laughs> your singleness, you got to work on that because after all, you want to be married, and then you got to find your spouse so that you can then work on your marriage. Then you got to work on your relationship with friends and family, right? And then you got to work on your relationship with money because your money never does what you actually want it to do, <laughs> right? You also got to work on your relationship with God because after all, you want that to get better. Then you got to work on your relationship with sin because there's some things that you got to stop doing. Then you want to work on your relationship with death because after all, you have to be prepared for that. You have to work on your relationship with your retirement. You have to work on your relationship with your kids' schooling. You have to work on your relationship with your spouse's new business endeavor, your friend's new problem, because you got to help them solve that. Not to mention a whole worldwide pandemic and social uprising. What we're finding out, cornerstone, is that this is all too much. And the reality is it's too much because it was never supposed to be this way. One scholar said it like this, and he's talking about the world as if it's, say, your living room. He says, many things which are now seen in the world are rather corruptions of it rather than any part of its proper furniture. You see, we can look around and we readily, readily agree that nothing is quite as it's supposed to be. But the difficulty in rest is not just that things are so broken that we can't rest. The difficulty in rest is not so much that things are so broken that we have to work nonstop. The biggest issue that we have with rest is that we are broken. You see, we do not work perfectly, nor do we produce perfectly, which is why it feels that our work is never done. The reality for us is after we read Genesis 2, we have to end up at Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3, things get messy. Now, I'm sure upon hearing that, you might immediately think about the fact that God told Adam that it would be in pain that he shall eat of the ground all the days of his life. Maybe you're thinking about the fact that God told Adam that thorns and thistles is what the ground would produce and that he now eat the plants of the field by the sweat of his face. Or maybe you're not thinking about Adam. Maybe you're thinking about what God said to Eve when he cursed her and said that he would multiply her pain in childbearing. I think that those things are problematic for sure. But what I think the ultimate hindrance is to rest is that the fall of mankind has caused us to innately focus on what we do not have rather than what we do have in God. In Genesis 3, there was a question asked, and it was asked by Satan. He asked, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? <laughs> now, that was his question. What we should be clear about is that Satan was not concerned about Eve tasting the fruit because he thought it would be good to her. He was not concerned about her missing out on what the tree had to offer. That was just a distraction that he used. Satan used the tree. It was simply a tool to communicate something else to Eve's heart. Listen to what he says after she responds about what, God, what, what she says God actually said, which we know there was a distortion in that. She said, God say, well, we can't eat or touch, and God only said they couldn't eat it. All right, but that's not the point. Satan says to her, you will not surely die. 
Verse 5 says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now let me ask you, was he really trying to convince her to eat the fruit? Or was he really trying to convince her to disobey God by believing that God was withholding something good from her? That's the question. So I just want us to, for a brief second, use our imagination. What if it wasn't the tree? What if God had told Adam and Eve that they were free to eat whatever they want in the garden, no exception, but what they could not do is cross the train tracks on the other side of the garden? Maybe it's not that, okay. What if God said, look, you can eat whatever you want, you can go whatever, wherever you want, but what I don't want y'all to do is to climb those trees? Would it matter? All right, we're going to keep going. What Satan put their attention on wasn't the important thing. It was that what he got them to do is to be focused on a reason to disobey God. He wanted them to believe that God cannot possibly be good if, we, if he is withholding something from you. This is important. Because what we get to see in the garden isn't that the tree was bad. Because sometimes I think we think like that. Like, the tree was bad, except this tree was actually created by the same God who had created every other tree in the garden. And he said it was good. You see, if it seemed bad, it would not have been a temptation to Eve. That's how Moses could write that when Eve saw the tree and that it was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was, de was desired to make one wise, she took up its fruit and she ate. That tree was made with the same care and the same utter perfection that God had made every other thing on this planet. It was desirable. The temptation wasn't in the eating of the fruit so much as it was in Eve providing for herself something that God had already given. Okay, why did I go through all of that? I went through that because for us, it's not that working is bad. <laughs> it's not that responsibility is somehow evil. It's about what happens when we cross the line that God has told us not to. That's why for us it's important that we understand that God said, six days you shall work and then chill out. Anybody else need to hear that? <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I got somebody need to hear this message. I'm I'm, listen to it because y'all need to chill out. <laughs> you see, the question this morning is not can you have rest. The question this morning is will you trust God for it? Will you choose to believe that God has provided everything that you need, or will you continue to look for it somewhere else? You see, the reality for us is Moses was right when God said, when, when Moses said that God gave us dominion. We all actually still have dominion. Dominion is simple, authority. But our authority is now bent. Our responsibility that God has given us is now bent. Rather than taking care of what God has put in our care, like our bodies and our souls, we reject God and we tell him we have a better way. So when we hear these words and we hear God saying rest, it's actually, that, it's actually the reason behind that why we still can't do it is because we don't actually think God is right. We don't actually think that he's right when he tells us to stop working. I want you to think about this for a second. Scripture has said that the law of God is written on our hearts. 
One of the ways that I think that we see that that scripture is true is in this concept of rest and work. Last year, in 2019, Americans contributed a total of 580.7 billion, by the way, U.S. dollars to the global travel and tourism industry. Think about that for a second. 580.7 billion dollars. Travel is good, is it not? Oh, y'all not going to talk to me, huh? <laughs> travel is good. Listen, y'all know y'all want to travel right now. <laughs> travel is good. But let's consider for a second that when most of us travel, we never actually slow down. What we do is we just find a way to be just as busy as we were at home in a different location. Now, what's problematic about that is if God is right and to rest is to cease from working, how many of us actually, uh, actually rest when we go on vacation? She raised her hand. I like it. But it's a good question. How many of us actually rest when we go on vacation? Now, I'm not judging because I do this too. If you ask my wife, listen, we go to a new location, we must do all the things. We must eat at all the places and, and experience all the things. And then we're going to be tired when we get home like we never had a vacation in the first place. I do this too. And I can only imagine what that figure, that $580.7 billion is going to look like after this pandemic is over. I do think for a second, before I move on, that we should just pause and consider the intentionality of God in shutting the world down. What we've been able to see <laughs> is that we all do too much. We've also gotten to see that we depend on everything else for our rest except God. If we're honest this morning, some of us here are still mad at God about this pandemic. See, y'all weren't going to talk to me. I knew, knew y'all weren't going to say nothing on that one. Some of us are still mad at God about the pandemic, and I get it. Listen, I miss not wearing masks. I don't like them. I miss hugging people. I miss my kids going to school. I miss amusement parks. I miss the beach because now they're not safe. I miss quiet and dark hotel rooms again without my kids. <laughs> but do you know what God has been showing me? <laughs> He's been showing me that rest is not found in getting away from everything. It is actually found in him in the midst of everything. This means that I don't need anything else on earth to give me rest because he's already provided it for me in himself. That's why the third thing that I want us to see is that rest is found in him. <laughs> Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 3 these words. Verse 12 begins and it says, I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. The only way it is humanly possible for us to do what Solomon observes here is to fear God. Solomon says we should be joyful. 
Sounds good. Solomon says we should do good. Sounds good. But then Solomon takes it a little too far for me. Solomon says, take pleasure in all your toil. Now, my question was, how, Solomon? (laughs) How am I supposed to take pleasure in my toil? How am I supposed to take pleasure in working hard? Well, Jay, God has actually already provided the answer in Genesis 2, and it's simple. Rest. You see, the only way to enjoy what you've been able to accomplish in any given week is to stop and take a good look at it like God did. But when you look at it, you and I must look at it through the lens of God. Solomon said, whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. What this means is that God is the one who is ultimately in control. We talked about this earlier. God provides the work, and God also provides the increase to the work. That actually means that God is in control. That's the simple way to say it, right? What's included in understanding this verse that Solomon writes out is understanding that there's actually grace in this verse. There's actually some grace in this verse that we miss, and some of y'all might disagree, but this is what I see. If God is actually God the way that we say that he is, if he's actually the God of the Bible who controls all things and in him all things live, move, breathe, have their being, if that is he, then we can actually work imperfectly on our jobs. If he is God, then we can work imperfectly on our marriages. If he is God, then we can work imperfectly on our children, on ourselves, on our money, on our relationship with him. If he is God, we do not need to be perfect because, by the way, he sent Jesus. If we could be perfect, if we could produce perfectly, if we could work perfectly, there would have been no need for Jesus. So God... God has set up our lives as believers in a way that we can actually stop. (laughs) Or as Psalm 46, which we we quoted that, right, during worship? Psalm 46. Be still and know that he is God. We love that. (laughs) We love that verse. I don't know that I've ever thought about it when it came to working. But I don't think it's any less true. Be still and know that he is God. What this means is somebody here can be freed from a life of performance this morning. Let's try to make this more plain. What this means is that the gospel has actually accomplished something for you this morning. You don't have to worry about performing perfectly because Jesus already did it. That's the gospel. The gospel is actually good news because all of our news is pretty terrible, is it not? So when we look at this, we are seeing that rest is difficult. Rest, as I just said, is difficult for some of us because we want so bad to be perfect and we just can't be. (laughs) But do you know what else makes rest difficult? People. Listen, it is what it is. Now, some of y'all like that. they like, yeah, yeah, people do make my rest difficult. Now, we have an example of this in Scripture. We have Pharaoh. 
Pharaoh, when God's people were in Egypt, made rest difficult for them. He made it hard for them to rest. Actually, what Pharaoh did is he did everything he could to make sure they did not rest. He did everything that he could to make sure that they worked harder. He was trying to limit their rest. So people, people sometimes inhibit our rest. But what else? Sometimes it's not other people. Sometimes it's us. Because sin makes it difficult to rest. Sin makes rest difficult. We have an example of this in Scripture. Joseph's brothers, when their dad died, got a little concerned on the inside. They got a little concerned that Joseph was going to pay them back for their sins against him. They didn't have rest internally. Some of us are not at rest because this sermon may actually be exposing sin in your life. But here's the reality. I'm going to say it again. You can have rest this morning. But for some of us, it isn't sin per se. (laughs) Some of us can't rest because we simply can't understand that rest is not earned. It is given. Rest is not earned. It is given. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you can't find rest this morning because you're too busy being lazy. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive. (laughs) But scripture actually says that there is a rest that God has not ordained. If we were to read Proverbs 6, we'd end up at verse 9. It says, how long will you lie there, old sluggard? I love that word. Sluggard. Like, we don't call people words like that no more. Sluggard. How long will you lie there, old sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? He says, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. What we're seeing is that abandoning all work isn't the rest that God tells us to take. Because an abandonment of work in all work, of all work and all things that are hard is not a rest that is found in God. It is a rest that is found in comfort. We should hear that. Now, there's a lot more things that we could talk about that inhibit our rest. But I just want to say one more thing about finding rest in God. If the rest that you and I are getting causes us to disobey God and not do his will, it's not a rest that is found in him. And we have an example of this when Jesus told his disciples to go over there and pray while he went over here and pray. And what did they do? Went to sleep. Now, naturally, they were tired, but they went to sleep, and I want you to see what Jesus says to them. Jesus said to the disciples, are you still sleeping and taking your, the word, rest? He said, it's enough. I feel like Jesus said it like that, right? It's enough. He says, the hour has come. Here's our reality this morning when we're talking about our rest being found in him. Our true rest must not be found in sleep. Our true rest must not be found in wealth. Our true rest must not be found in people. It must not be found in laziness. It must not be found in comfort. It must not be found in control because none of those things can actually give it to us. Our true rest must be found in God. (laughs) But there's a truth that encompasses this, this whole topic well, and it is this. We must never attempt to find all of our rest here on this earth. God has promised us that there is an eternal rest. It's my last point. I know y'all are like, please get him off the stage right now. 
<laughs> there is an eternal rest. What we're finding out <laughs> is that what God established for us on the seventh day is actually something that's really good for us. He has not just provided for us a break from our work week. He has provided for us rest in its fullest sense. God is up to something. Now, now in the traditional black church, that's what they would say every Sunday. God is up to something. And when you hear that, it means something good, not, not nothing bad, right? God is up to something. What God is up to is he is restoring his creation back to what he has originally created. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. But do you know what's even more magnificent than that? He will make you and I new. Including these bodies that we live in, the bodies that are wracked with pain, the minds that won't let us sleep at night, at night because we're so worried about everything. God will make them new. But what about the sin that grips the very fiber of our beings? <laughs> it will be done away with. It will be vanquished. <laughs> God has actually begun this work already for us. Jesus has done something. Jesus has done something that will be completed in eternity. The thing is, what ultimately causes the lack of rest we experience is all of the brokenness that the fall of mankind has done to us and this world. But God has made us a promise. This is the good news. God has made us a promise that we can enter his rest. <laughs> we can enter his rest like right here and right now. The Holy Spirit would say to us this morning, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. If you hear God's voice today. And he's calling you to come to him and get the rest that you need. Do not harden your heart. And by the way, Christians, let's not be fools. This message is for us too. So the same thing applies. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Because sometimes we can come to church and we like, that message wasn't for me. Yes, it is. I'm just going to tell you, yes, this is. This message is for all of us. None of us are without fault in this area. We must come to God to find our rest, not church. Now, Pastor Steve wants y'all to come to church, okay? But church doesn't provide rest. God does. We must come to God. Hebrews 4 says it like this. Therefore... While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message that they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. This is why I say this important, that it's not just about coming to church. You actually have to be hearing this. <laughs> it says, for we have, we who have believed, entered that rest, as he, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. If we skip down to verse 8 of chapter 4 of Hebrews, it says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. For if Joshua, by way of that, for if Moses, <laughs> by way of that, so if the promised land, by way of that, so if church, 
By way of that, so if porn, oh, don't say that. By way of that, so if money, by way of that, so if our spouses could give us rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. It says, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also, listen to this, rested from his works as God did from his. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What are we seeing? It is our disobedience that causes a lack of rest in us. But it is also disobedient to not listen to God when he tells us to rest. This is very simple, isn't it? What this calls us into and what this calls for is trusting in God. I'm done with this. Um, What Eve struggled with was trusting God. If you zoom out on that story, just, just for a quick second, consider this. They were the only two people on the planet. And Satan got them to focus on one tree. The whole planet. One tree. This happens to us every day. God has provided so much for us, but we get focused on one thing. What I'm saying is this. Every single day this week, find your rest in God. Find your rest in the Savior. Find your rest in the one who has already paid for your sin. Find your rest in the one who, by the way, Scripture says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is he who is in you (laughs) to work. For whose good pleasure? His. Right? So we can rest. We can rest in the fact that God has provided for us holistically. God has given us something that we could never give to ourselves. God has truly given us rest. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you because even though your word sometimes is hard for us to hear, It's always good to us, and it's always good for us. Father, what I'm asking for all of us this morning is that we would find our rest in you this week, today, not in anything else, not in anything else that we can provide for ourselves, create with our own hands. Help us to find our rest in you. God, we are so grateful. We are grateful that you did not do away with mankind after we fell in the garden. We are grateful, God, that you have provided yet another way to get to you. And his name is Jesus. So help us, God, this week, Christians and non-Christians alike, to come to Jesus for the rest that we need. We say all of this in his name. Amen.